Hi everybody, welcome to the next issue of the Blue Sky Fostering Podcast. Um, I'm here with Leela, who has now got a failed career as a comedian, she's just discovered. Um, and uh, <laughs> uh, You'd never make it as one anyway. Um, and today, um, I'm going to let Leela introduce herself, because I, I, I wouldn't be able to do you justice, Leela. So, Leela, can you just tell us who you are, what you do at Blue Sky, um, and then a little bit of a brief introduction of what it is you're going to talk to us about today? Uh, sure, and... Um... I definitely had a stand-up career in line as a stand-up comedian, Ed, because I'm hilarious. Uh, But no, a really funny comedian has unfortunately stolen my niche as a fat Bristolian comic. Um, So sadly, I'm going to stick to my job that I actually have now, uh, which is the, uh, I'm an area manager for Blue Sky and I work in our East region. So I work with our Crawley Hub, our Chatham Hub and our Portslade Hub. Cool. And, um, and what, is, what is it we're going to be talking about today? You'll, you'll do it more justice than I can. <laughs> so I don't think I've spent a long time obviously thinking of a concept and a title to sound really bold and exciting, but sadly I got nowhere. Um, so I've been, as part of the newsletters, um, I've been writing kind of uh, a call and response thing. So Dan Hughes, who wrote loads of stuff about attachment, who writes loads of stuff about attachment, wrote something called The Attachment Pledge. And it's kind of loosely kind of half a page talking about the things that you can do as a parent or as a foster carer to support children who have been through trauma and have struggled with attachment difficulties. And so in the newsletter, if carers have been avidly reading, no doubt, they will have seen me kind of each month take a couple of those lines and talk about what that might look like at home, what that might look like with the children that they look after. Um, And I was just reflecting on it last week um, because I had some feedback that actually at least one person had been reading it because I didn't really know if anyone was reading it. thought maybe I was just writing to myself. (laughs) So at least one carer has read it and it provides some really lovely feedback about it. So I was thinking more about kind of what I reflected on and what I'd learned when I was writing it. So the last sentence um, is, I will discover the song that is in your heart and sing it to you when you forget it. So what I wanted to kind of spend some time thinking about and talking about is how we discover children's individuality. My experience of um, what that was like with my foster parents and kind of how that then interacts with the work that I do today and how we can work with the children that we have that we look after. Cool. Okay. well, thank you. So if we um, if we use that sentence then that you've just said and relate it to your experiences as a young person uh, growing up in care. How did somebody, if, if at all, discover the song that was in your heart and allowed and held on to that? So I've decided to take it literally, obviously, uh, because I sing, right? So, uh, no. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, so I was um, super, super lucky. So I had some, uh, if I tried to think of all the lovely words in the world to describe my foster parents, I'd probably run out of words uh, still because they were ace. They were just the most brilliant, wonderful, ordinary people um who did an extraordinary job raising uh me obviously an extraordinary person like me um but uh, don't laugh too much ed thanks um i might have to mute my cam- my mute my microphone so you can't let me laughing at you <laughs> <laughs> but i think it was interesting for me about thinking about stuff like nature versus nurture so there is something that is innately us when we're born uh we are innately who we are there's something already in our makeup 
that makes us prefer different ways of doing things. And as we grow and we develop and the people around us nurture us, they kind of recognise and develop kind of our talents and our possibilities and of course those sorts of things. So for me, for my parents, um, it was about finding out that I enjoyed music and that I enjoy kind of musicality. I was thinking about this today. So I had a piano book arrive through the post um, and it was, uh, it's got and uh, the song from Annie in it, the song that says, um, it's called Maybe. And kind of Annie's reflecting on who her parents might have been and where she gets certain things from. Does she look like them? What do they do? Do they like reading? Does she sew? Does she cook? You know, what does he do? Um, and as a child, I used to kind of spend a long time listening to that, wondering about who my birth parents and my birth family might be, whether I was like them, whether I wasn't. <clears throat> but kind of through music, I was able to work out who I was and what I liked and what I liked to do. And in my parents kind of supporting that, not that even my parents is particularly musical, although my mum now at 80 has just set up a radical recorder group on the Isle of Portland, her and a couple of the other older women, or the other girls, as my mum calls them, uh, learning recorder in their 80s, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, without any kind of necessary musical talent themselves, but they recognised that that was something in me that could support me to develop and support me in coming kind of who I was. And so when I was writing that for the newsletter, I spent time thinking about how do we capture that idea that every child who comes to us, who lives with us, spends time with us, is an individual has something about them that makes them unique or different in some way. And I think it also made me think about that for lots of our children, they've had to suppress the things that might be good about them or unique about them or different about them in some way because they've been preoccupied with keeping themselves safe. So when they arrive on your doorstep, they might not even know what the things about them that are surprising or unique or individual or different would be. And so our carers have a really hard task in working out what that is and finding a way to kind of discover what that is and giving opportunities um, and trying to open up the world a little bit so our kids can start to explore and think about what might make them uniquely them um, that they don't know yet. That's something that um, I can really relate to in, 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 in my experiences of being here and, and working with kids is that you try, you, you, you try and put things on that can just light that tiny little spark. Absolutely. That can, you can go, do you know what? What's this ridiculous idea that we've got about trying, you know, I don't know, this, this, this project. And you might think, oh, no one's, no one's going to want to do that. And even if there's just one kid that just, just that takes something from that, that's one child that might have that spark that changes. I don't mean changes their life and all of a sudden they become, you know, a, a major label recording artist or whatever. It's that little thing that you go, cool, I've got that. That's something that's, that's me. That's my bit of individuality. And that's my place within the world slightly. That's Absolutely. outside of being a looked after child, which is how I, how I potentially have lived a lot of my life so, so far. Um, one of the things, this is really interesting because it's interesting that you talk about music because um, in the previous episode, when we were talking to Becky, um, those guys have done, uh, she's uh, done like a talent show with young people uh, called Together Through Talent, where they right. bring kids together and they talk about their the things that they enjoy and what they're good at, and then they, they perform this to other people. Now, we and obviously now we've spoken about you having that interest in music as well, but what about those kids that that aren't that way inclined for, for music and and you know and the performing arts and stuff like that? 
how, how, how do we engage them in something that has that same meaningful impact um, that performing yeah. an art can like that? Um, well, I think, so you, you can look at it two different ways, right? Because for a start, uh, so performing music, being good at performing music, enjoying performing music is one route kind of to participate in that kind of way of being. But actually music is a, is a human experience, isn't it? So you will have, um, I know you can't sing for toffee, Ed, but you will have <laughs> your music that you really enjoy, that you enjoy listening to. And so we can find ways to connect with each other through music. So is that the kind of the song that starts off Saturday morning that all the family dance to? Is it something that kind of, you know, when you're driving and you're singing together and enjoying your kind of long car journeys? Because music is good for children, regardless of whether they're able to perform or have a musical talent in that sense, I guess. But I think it's, you've talked about, as you say, it can be any activity in any spot, can't it? It can be that they have particular physical ability. It can be that they have a particular ability in relating to others. It can be that they enjoy looking after animals. It can be uh, that they enjoy bake off and cooking and all those sorts of things or writing. So it's, it can be a whole raft of things. But I think um, my mum is obviously still distraught that I am not a record label signed opera singer <laughs> that, that when I first told her that I was not in fact going to be a musician that I was in fact going to become a social worker um, I don't think she quite knew how to took it, take it and what to do about that but just because you are encouraging children in their talents and hobbies doesn't mean that is because you want them to have a career in that but having a hobby having an interest having a way of discovering something unique and interesting about you is all the building blocks to make you a happy, successful adult in whatever totally. field you decide to go into. So mm -hmm. it's kind of, it's not cause and effect. It's not you have to do music, therefore you should be a musician. It's that you might like doing music and that might make you better later at um, socialising or being okay and interacting with people or it might you better, make you better at the job that you choose to do. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, it's all building. It's all, those little, it's all those little parts that make it up, isn't it? It's um, something that I, I can relate to with, like, my, my own son is um, he, do, he does, like, a drama club on a weekend. Well, yeah. <laughs> he did before lockdown anyway. And that's <laughs> not because he, you know, it, it, he wants to have, he has fun. He likes it. And, yeah. and, and, and actually his confidence has, has improved so much that he can, he can hold a conversation better and he's yeah. able to articulate his perspective on things more because of his, 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 his it's, 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 the learn, it's the things that he's learned whilst he's been there. He's learned how to throw his voice more and stuff like this. And that's one of the things that, you know, sometimes I think there's that potential pressure that we maybe put on ourselves to think, okay, right, you know, I've, you know we've got to think, you know, what jobs can, what, what are we going to do as a career? Actually, because you like it. Do it because yeah. there's there's something fun within it. Because um, sometimes the pressure of something is the death of something. So yeah. if we're concentrating too much on making a child be successful at something, well, they're really good at drama, so therefore we must send them to drama school every single week and they must go on all the drama holidays away and they must perform in every theatre production and all those sorts of things. And sometimes that takes away some of the joy. And actually we, what we want is for our kids to have a rounded experience. Yeah. We would like them to be able to... So, Again, harking back to my parents, because obviously I think they're ace. Um, I had, we ended up doing so many different hobbies. I was, did the St. John's ambulance and I did the dancing. I was terrible at it. And I did swimming. I was slightly better at that. You know, like did a whole range of things. Yeah. Whilst trying to kind of, you know, grow up who we were. So for, for carers, it's about how many opportunities, how many different opportunities can we give them? How many different opportunities can Blue Sky give them? What can we do just to kind of, as you say, kind of uh, 
ignite that spark somewhere, that interest in themselves, um, in life, and kind of in the world around them, really. Because this is so, this is something interesting that um, is a question that gets put to me. Because as part of my trainings that I do, I've done recently um, was about the digital world and how obviously um, you know we were looking at taking a savings account and a savings account out for my kid, uh, my son the other day, and it's like well actually he needs it, he needs it digitally because that's how the world's going to be. So in the digital world training, we talk about how we can make sure that our kids have got enough skills for when they're older to be able to to, to you know take part in the world, not not yeah. career wise, but you know to engage with the world in a way that works for them. Now, one of the things that obviously a lot of young people struggle with. Um, at the moment is is addiction to their mm-hmm. technology so whether it's social media screens whether it's games whether it's yeah. um you know wh- whatever it is and so sometimes people find that difficult to take them away from that to find those other creative those creative avenues or those other sort of sparks for them what advice would you give to your carers and those across blue sky when it is that locked into that world and it's difficult to get them out of it um so two options right um so one is immerse yourself in that world with them where you can so actually how can you find ways to connect with one another um in the way in which they need to and want to so is it that you can game together is it that you can do stuff together is that you can kind of both have an account somewhere and you're both collecting ideas or doing sorts of things like that. So there's possibilities to connect in that way. Um, But I think it's also about thinking about, well, what is the deeper need for a child who needs to be in contact with everyone all of the time in a way that doesn't make them feel good necessarily or doesn't make them feel better. So for some of our children, they're able to be on their phones and make those social connections and have those interactions. And it feels okay. It's probably more than we ever would have done, but it feels all right and it feels manageable. But there are some of our young people for whom we look at it and we think that doesn't make them happy. It really doesn't. Mm. And kind of it worries us about how much they're doing it. And so at those points, I think as foster carers and as as social workers, as individual workers, as whoever, we need to be thinking about, well, what need is that feeling for the young person? Because if we can fill that hole that they have, where they're potentially looking for love or connection with connection in a different way, then we hopefully take them away a little bit from their screens. If we can fill that need and then we can opt in for another choice. I think that's a, I don't, I don't like to give you an ego and make you feel good about yourself, but <laughs> I think that's a good point. I think it is that like, what is, what is, what is the need that they are looking for to be met? And that's like with any addiction, isn't it? It's what is the need that is, is missing? What is it? What is it the thing that they're trying to? Well, when we did, so you and I did the, um, working with substance abuse, drugs and alcohol training together, didn't we? Yeah. Um, and so when we're doing it, we talk a lot and it's the same when we talk about sexual exploitation and when we talk about gangs, it's about that push and pull factor stuff, isn't it? In terms of what are the things that are pushing on people to engage in that way and mm. what's the kind of pull for them to be in that? And I think that when you talk about something like a gang, um, it, it, that's quite, an, I say like, a, I'm not trying to flip, be flippant, but it, it's easy to explain that in a paradox of, you know, if a young person potentially is missing family and structure and people that are, you know, on the surface, supposedly taking care of them, you can understand to a point why people may gravitate towards that. Yeah. But I think sometimes people find that difficult when it's gravitating towards a screen. Um, yeah, yeah. And do you know what I mean? So actually it's trying to look at it in, and draw those parallels for things that we understand so that we can understand what we don't understand better, if that makes sense in its, its own weird about way. <laughs> um, Absolutely. And it can kind of, and it's difficult for us, I think for carers as well, it's kind of, um, we get our happiest feelings as humans from when people are interacting with us when they're making eye contact with us when they're engaged with us and that's no different for foster carers who absolutely want their kids to be 
um, engaged and enjoying spending time with them as they are enjoying spending time with their kids. Now, if you've got a kid who's on their screen all the time, then that can kind of be hard for us as humans because we're not getting that feedback and that interaction from the young person about them kind of wanting to be there. We're not feeling successful. We're not feeling good as carers, as adults that we're having those connections and interactions. That's what I mean about can we jump into their world with them to find a connection alongside them rather than as well as trying to find a way to draw them out as and when we can. Hmm. Cool. So can you tell me more? So can you, can you revisit the sentence again that you read out at the beginning? And I'd like to revisit and have a little bit more of a discussion about that specific sentence again. I can indeed just need to give me two seconds because (laughs) I obviously, um, uh, as I covered the bits I wanted to cover, deleted it. <laughs> so, but <laughs> so I will discover the song that is in your heart, and I'll sing it to you when you forget it. So, when you were doing some more of your reflection um, on that sentence over yes. sort of the previous week, what what other thoughts came into your head and stuff about some of the work that we do here? Now that's a question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's the whole point of this. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think the sing it to you when you forget it bit uh, probably came into my head because I think um, so when children first move in with us we work hard to discover who they are um, because that's the kind of whole point you have this child arriving at your doorstep that you don't know that you've never met before you might have lots of information from a referral you might have none um, and they turn up and then suddenly you have this little being in your life and in your household and you're doing everything you can to work out what do they like what do they like doing what do they like to eat what do they like to wear kind of how what routines have they had all of that sort of stuff and as time passes is we potentially become slightly less curious about that because we feel like we know the child and kind of we've got it down and it's all okay um and so then when times become challenging when times become hard um three months six months a year three years five years whatever down the line um that's the times when we need to think about kind of singing back those children's songs to them. So we talk back to them about the things that we love about them, the things that we know about them, who we appreciate, how we appreciate them as humans, as people, what we love about them, what we care about them. Because um, at those times when a young person is in periods of distress, they will have forgotten the good things about themselves or they'll be feeling potentially shame or upset or anger or sadness about kind of their circumstances. And then that's when it's really key for us not to get brought into kind of their sadness and their upset and kind of be worried with them about that, but to kind of remind them about who they are and to kind of have that almost that ability to step back and say, I can see where you are at the moment. I can see you're in crisis at the moment, but I know you will get through this and I'll be here alongside you as that happens. And I'll be here to remind you all the good things about you and all the things I love about you whilst that goes on. So those were some of my thoughts, Ed. And I think you just took the question um, out of my mouth because I was going to say, Good. how do you do, how, how do you, what would be your advice to be around doing that when you have got a young person that has become removed, that has re- removed or has, um, you know, become within themselves because they are feeling down? You know, how do you take that first step into reminding them of singing? How do you sing that song back to somebody when the the background noise is so loud that they can't hear the song that you're singing? Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, I believe it's Dan Hughes. I love a bit of Dan Hughes, obviously. Uh, Dan Hughes talks about talking for, talking about and talking with. 
So we're used to our talking with, which is, you know, me and you having a conversation where I tell you something yeah. about you. Um, now, for young people, when they're in moments of distress, that can be the hardest conversation to have because that's a face-to-face conversation. That's quite intense. Mm. It can be quite disconcerting when I'm not feeling good about myself. I don't want to sit with you and have a conversation about all the good things about myself because I don't believe any of them at mm. the moment. So that's when we might take opportunities to talk about. So, you know, the young person might be sat in a room with us and we might have a conversation with our partner or with someone else in the house. We might have a conversation with our social worker um, or the child social worker about the kind of good things that we've seen about them or the good things that we remember and that we know about them. Um, we might also take the opportunity that if we know something's gone well for the child in school, when we're back in school, or something's gone well for the child kind of in life, um, to talk for them. So to tell other people about the things that we recognise about them. So the young person sees you as an advocate and someone who still strongly believes um, in their potential. And I think it's about being consistent in doing that. So we're not doing that as a one-off. We're finding small ways to do it. Um, we find small ways to remember and remind about times that we spent together when we've had fun, holidays we've enjoyed or days out that we've liked or kind gestures they've made. And we find time to try and attend to the small things and the big things about kind of what they do in the world. And hopefully through persistence and being consistent, um, they might let you in. A chink of armor might open up a little bit to let you in to maybe believe that some of what you say might be true. Yeah, um, there's, a, there's a saying, isn't it? You throw enough of it, and some of it might stick. Um, <laughs> but, but I think, I, I think for me, I think out of all the things that you you said, then one of the things that really struck with me is talking about and that's why I talk till I'm blue in the face about how important it is that carers engage with with things like our you know like the blue sky magazine because we're talking about our kids we're saying look at this great thing these kids have done um you know look at this yeah. great thing that Jack's done and and it might only be on there for half a second but it or, or a couple of seconds sorry um and you, you, you're you're not directly looking at that kid going you've done this well done you stand on a pedestal and we'll all applaud you actually it's very different it's like look at what this kid's done how great is that and absolutely I think praise has to be so praise needs to be not as you say lauding really massive achievements because mm. there's a lot of pressure in massive achievements that the young person needs to some also be grateful that you're giving me the thanks so you're praising me massively I need to be grateful that you're giving it to me even though actually I might find it really difficult inside when you're giving me praise because I'm just really worried that I'm not this good person that you think I am and so you're absolutely right lots of little ways to give praise the blue sky makes me a little bit tearful every week when it comes out <laughs> I, I won't lie because you get to see me <laughs> Um, I don't like the bit with you. I much prefer it with kids. Um, <laughs> but it's about exactly little and often in that way. Actually, how can we praise the small things? So we talk about not wanting to say that a child is a good child or a bad child. We're not using evaluative statements about who they are. We're talking about the small things they're doing. I really like the way you picked up those bits after your sister. Oh, I really like you bringing the dishes out. Thank you for putting them in the washing machine. Not the washing machine, in the... Why did you put all the dishes in the washing machine? They're all broken. I really really like your creativity in putting those dishes in the washing machine. I wonder if next time we put them in the dishwasher would be a therapeutic response to that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, we find the little things. Absolutely. A a couple of seconds in the Blue Sky Weekly is lovely and might be enough Mm. for a kid to have just those couple of seconds and then we can reinforce that later. Yeah, and, and I think that for, for us as adults as well, it's nice when people point out the things that we've done, um, you know, and, and I guess as as we're in lockdown for those people that have got family around them or on the phone, it's, you know, saying you, you've done, you know, God, 
you think about what's going on for the world at the moment and, and the fact that foster care doesn't stop. And, Absolutely not. And, 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 and our carers are doing such an incredible job at the moment of, of keeping kids safe at the most difficult time that has ever there's ever been. But um, and, 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 Sorry, go on. No, no, no. I'm amazed at the creativity that abounds, right? So seeing some of the stuff that foster carers are doing with children who are at the very least um, dysregulated by the change in routine, mm. you know, it's kind of, and the kind of unendingness of it, because none of us know when this will kind of end properly in terms of when life might go back to something that feels more like normal. Yeah. Um, and I'm amazed by the kind of creative ways that foster carers, sorry, I apologise <laughs> for the ambulance in the background. This is real life, Ed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I'm we sky fostering the- on the front line. <laughs> 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 we should have done that as a tagline at the start. Yeah. Um, I'm amazed by the creativity of foster carers and all that they do and the, the ways they find to meet their children's needs in what is a really stressful situation often for all of us. I think as well, isn't it, um, is that the, create, the, the creative ways that people are able to think whilst under pressure is, yeah. is, is what always amazes me. You think, oh, well done, you came up with that like, on the cuff. And, but but I think that's why it's so important and not just because I'm the training manager, but because I think that <laughs> it's important that when you you don't just you, you use resources rather than just courses. So by reading the newsletter that you've written stuff in, that will sit, you know, some of that will, will drip into somebody's brain and they'll remember that. It's reading a book, it's watching something on YouTube, it's going on a course, it's it's you know, it's taking part in an online course. But remembering some of those bits so that when you then need to be able to pull on those things, you can. I think uh, I uh, so I remember back in when my beginning of my training was first starting to a social worker, watching other social workers and thinking there is no way I'm ever going to know all that stuff, mm. and no way I'm ever going to know what advice to give or what to say to someone or what to do. I know you don't believe it, Ed, because clearly I always have an answer to everything, but I did not used to always have an answer what? to everything. <laughs> I know, right? Um, but I think for me, it's absolutely about that. It's all of the little things that you can put in your toolbox. So everything you can put in there. So as you say, kind of all the different ways you can do courses, you can do online, you can do reading. You'll be seeing stuff on telly, you might watch films, all of those sorts of things. They're all kind of things you can store away to having your little armory. So when you're having to shuffle around and think, I don't know how to manage with this, you've got a a couple of things in your backpack that you can kind of pull out and think, I'm going to try that and give it a go. And, And people will try and sometimes it'll be successful, sometimes it might be less so, but then it gives us an opportunity to kind of repair and talk about with kids about the fact that we aren't experts, that we sometimes get it wrong or we sometimes misjudge it and that's okay. Um, what's important is that we find a way to reconnect and make amends at the end. And I think that's what a lot of people need to remember, isn't it? And, and, it, and I think it goes the same for our colleagues and our carers, is that we are all human and, <laughs> and there is only so much that we can, that we are able to do. And sometimes it's just holding, isn't it? And going, right, let's stay where we are. Let's kind of get our, you know, get our things in order and then go again, because rather than that need to try, right, we'll sort this, we'll sort it. Actually, just pause if we can, um, which is a really difficult thing, I know. Um, one of the things that I just wanted to cover before we sort of wrap things up was learning. Um, you were talking about, we talked before we started about, um, you were reading today, um, which is one of those things that um, some people will listen to this and go, oh, I wish I had the luxury to do that. Um, but for those people who do have the opportunity to, to read or to 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 watch things what would what's your kind of um what have you been reading and um what's your you know sort of your your own self-learning that you take part in that you recommend to other people um so I'm not very good at reading 
just one thing at once because I get bored easily. Mm. So I generally read a couple of things all at once. So I can tell you bits and snippets about different things. So um, one of the books I'm reading is called Mind Sight by a guy called Dan Siegel. So when we talk in attachment training, we can talk sometimes about the hand-brain model. So using your hand to make it look like a brain and explaining how the brain works. So he came up with that. So he's talking about how brain, how trauma affects how our brain wires itself and how we do what we do. Um, and then alongside that, I've been reading Sarah Nash, who wrote the A to Z of Therapeutic Parenting, um, because I am designing a course on managing lying and stealing, Ed, uh, which you know already. Um, so uh, I'm kind of gathering resources for that. And then one of the more interesting books I've been reading is a book called The Body Keeps the Score. And so obviously we think about trauma, we think about, and we know how it affects the brain, but for our children who, um, for all of our children, but particularly our children who experience trauma before they have kind of language, so pre two, kind of three-ish, um, uh, the only way for the body to, under, uh, for children to process trauma is it gets held within the body. So that's stored somewhere as a bodily memory of that trauma because they have no words to talk about what happened or to explain. So whereas talking therapies will work if you can understand and remember and recall what happened to you, for anything that happened to you before you had language, your body holds that and holds that trauma for you through your life. And so the book talks about ways that we can kind of rewrite the narrative of what happened for children um, using kind of their body and expressing things through their body. So using... Uh, so things like be like occupational therapy or theraplay techniques, kind of ways that we can recondition the body to not have a trauma response when kind of they're triggered by a memory. So it'd be that a sense or a smell or a sound or something yeah. that kind of triggers their trauma. So um, once I reach the end of that one, we can do another podcast and I'll tell you all about it. Cool. That sounds really interesting. So can we just go over the name of those again? So what, were the, what was the first book called? First book is called Mind Sight, okay. and it's by Dan Siegel. Yeah. Uh, the second book is called The A to Z of Therapeutic Parenting. It's by Sarah Nash. Yeah. Um, and the third book is called The Body Keeps the Score. Um, and that is by, sorry, I should know that off by heart already, shouldn't I? <laughs> Um, oh you yeah to... Bess a guy called Bessel van der Kolk oh he sounds intellectual <laughs> I know <laughs> I, I think that's really interesting um and um what we'll do is we will put the links um underneath the podcast so that you can um follow those books and um buy them if you would like to um going forward um so Leela um thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me I'm sorry no for taking the time away from you writing your stand-up set um yeah, is, is there anything based on what we've talked about you know is there a final kind of like message that you'd like to send out to everybody before we go um oh gosh I ought to again I've written one of these in my uh... <laughs> <laughs> um find a thing in your child that kind of that makes you happy so look at your child and think what is it about them that kind of really makes you smile and really makes you kind of love them deeper and love them more and think about ways that you can kind of show them that and reinforce that back to them and for carers um find a way that you can kind of show that love to yourself as well in a time that's really difficult for all of us we'll stop there um Leela, thanks ever so much for taking the time to talk to us and um i look forward to catching up with you soon Thanks. Bye. 
So there we go guys, that was Leela, one of the area managers here at Blue Sky. Um, I hope you guys are finding these interesting. I certainly am finding them interesting talking to, um, talking to people across Blue Sky. Um, if you've got any questions, please make sure you send them in to us and uh, take care, stay safe and catch up with you all soon.